spent a lot of time uh, through the book of Philippians. In fact, it took us a couple months because, uh, and it probably just grinded on a couple of you because I would stop at like a verse. I'm like, that verse. Let's, I'll preach through that verse. Um, so it took us months to get through the book of Philippians. And uh, so we're kind of just hitting a few spots. And today, since it's Father's Day, I thought I'd hit a spot in the Bible that uh, talks about men. Uh, okay, so it's coming from the Bible. Uh, before every woman just clicked her head off and just went, okay, well, I'm going to start crocheting here or whatever. Uh, I want you to know that the Bible speaks to all people. And so uh, sometimes you're going to see a context of something, but the, the context of change, obviously, even through 2,000 years, we have context change. And, and sometimes the, the way that we see the Scriptures is we go to the Scripture to read it for ourselves. But as you've heard us teach over and over from the teachers that are on this stage from Red Sea, is we talk a lot of the times about us. It's not a me life. You know, as, Ameri- as Americans, we're huge consumers, right? It's very hard for us to go from patron, like how do I consume from my church or even from God himself or the scriptures, what's in it for me, to we. So when I say we're going to address men, uh, I would think that our lives are interwoven so that women would care too. And uh, even the truths that are timeless, even though a context or a gender may change, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the things that he came to teach us is the way, the truth, and the life is applicable to us. So uh, be ready, okay? So, you know, I think God does that. Sometimes I think I planned a little bit of what I'm going to say. Some of you don't believe that, but uh, because I'm so haywire in the way that I speak at times, but when I do plan, sometimes you think, oh, well, this will probably affect this piece of the audience or this piece of the audience. I came here thinking of men and praying a lot for the men uh, today in the community, but we all know that uh, I can think something, you can think something, but when you get God involved, God, I, I say we're out of the box, church, uh, God can't be put into a box. And so uh, God speaks to you directly. And I know that scares some of you, okay? So uh, God, I want to assure you that God's gentle and God is kind and loving, but He'll meet you where you're at. So you're going to hear scriptures today that will actually, uh, the Holy Spirit will hijack and use and speak to you in your life, okay? That's something I couldn't guarantee as a man. That's kind of part of the evidence that God exists. It's for you to see that uh, some dude standing up on the stage couldn't guarantee you that uh, God could have something specifically for you. So uh, I take great uh, security and sanctuary in that. That's a place that I rest, that this message doesn't lie on my shoulders. It's on God since it's his words, okay? So if you start getting mad and stuff, like if I really start pressing into your manhood and you get mad, don't get mad at me, okay? We can talk about it, but uh, I'm just the messenger. This isn't my message. This is God's, okay? Um, So happy Father's Day to you. You guys are like, that was a long intro. Was that the intro or no? I'm not even done with the intro, okay? Um, I just wanted to say happy Father's Day to you. If you're a father, would you stand up? We have the mamas stand up, and uh, we want to give you a round of applause. Yes. All right. They're responsible for something, okay. Thank you, uh, gentlemen, for standing up, and uh, thank you for holding a very 
tough role in this society, a, a role that has become temporary, a role uh, in our community here in North Portland. Uh, as we talked a little bit about that last week, um, there's fatherlessness all over the place, and there's kids and women being abandoned. And so I hope that you'll already see like the follow-up to kind of our fatherless week that we talked about, and we talked about how that gets corrected through a good father, one that doesn't leave you or, or abandon you or divorce you, that our Father in heaven loves us. I hope that you'll hear that when we see the greatness of who God is and then we find out that he made us, that he has a great story for us that's redeeming these broken father things. But as these men stood up, um, obviously they're charged with, uh, with giving of their lives of expending who they are and investing in, in those who they brought onto the planet and uh, are parenting. Um, and so I, I just hope that you'll be praying and, and lifting up men. So let's get at it. We, I want to talk a little bit about men. I want to throw two statistics your way. The first one is this. <clears throat> when women come into a setting of faith, when a, when a woman starts to follow Christ, uh, 17%, this is the highest range, some say it's as low as 7%, but between 7 and 17%, when a woman starts to follow Christ, her family will follow. Her family will go, well, what's, what's Christ all about? What, what's, the, what, what's this faith thing all about? But 93% of families will follow when a man starts to follow Jesus. So we, we see that in, in culture as well, when we see the way teachers reflect or coaches. Um, when we see men stand up and start investing in the community, there's a satisfaction that comes to that community. It's striking. It's, it's undeniable. And, um, and so uh, last week I had my friend here that wrote the book, Fatherless Generation. I want you to check that out. He's got lots more statistics, but it's fascinating. It's not just for fathers. It's not just for men to, to be involved with how loose the fabric of, of life is becoming. And so, so I wanted to throw that statistic out to you to say 93% of men, when they start to follow Christ, then people start to listen and, and start to examine for themselves. It's not that the men go, we're going to church and you force your whole family. I'm talking about what does it look like when a man stands before God and says, my family, I'm, I'm accountable and responsible for not just the finances, not just the education of my family, but what's going on in my family spiritually. And so, as we think about that, uh, a lot of churches, uh, if, a lot of churches don't have as many dudes as, as our church has in the audience here. And uh, there, there is, uh, in, in churches, it's, it's been very effeminate. And uh, churches have really not been a place for men. Churches, evangelical churches especially, have become, uh, they've taken like McDonald's. I read this in the Wall Street Journal that McDonald's, the key to their sales is 40% is uh, Happy Meals. So 40% comes through the little kitties, which the mommies buy for the little kitties, okay? I know in Portland we're like, I never go there. Those statistics aren't in Portland. We don't do corporate America. No, we ran them out of Lad's Edition or whatever. Okay, just deal with it, okay? Uh, but the church kind of adopted that. And so churches became cultures that were very 
kid and mama friendly, kid and mama friendly, but dudes would walk into the church and go, having a hard time here. If we're not going to be building something or duding out or growing up, then uh, I'm not sure that this is a good place for me. And so guys started to check out. And uh, I, I have a big, heavy uh, Irish Catholic uh, background in, in my life. And, and when I used to think of the church just even growing up, and even when my, my, my family started uh, going to Protestant churches at Calvary chapels and stuff, um, I would see movies like The Godfather, or even more recently, I'd see Sopranos. And, and uh, that was the only picture where I saw, and unfortunately it was the mafia, so this is like a really bad illustration. But, uh, but the mafia was where a dude could be a dude, but he would still be at church. I mean, even though if you're thinking about the last scene in The Godfather, he's like, do you denounce Satan? And he's like, yes, I denounce Satan. And then all of the, the heads of all the families are getting shot off. But, but, I was, but here's the picture. Deal, just stay with me. Stay with me. Here's where we're at. I'm saying that the Scriptures have a place for a guy to be a guy, a dude, a bro, without being in the mafia and being a part of faith. And what happens is we have ceremonies. We've had guys go to ceremonies and religion. And uh, they'll even go for their kids or their wives. But men are going, where is it for me? How does this calculate for me? And, uh, and I think today's scripture just proves that there's a lot of guys in the Bible. There's lots of bros in the Bible that were faithful to God. And uh, the letter that we're going to go to, if you want to start going there, is it's called Second Timothy. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. I'm going to be reading from it. Um, but Second Timothy is is a letter from a guy. In fact, it's the last letter that he wrote on his fourth missionary journey. It's the Apostle Paul. Paul is writing to Timothy, and uh, it's the last letter that he wrote. And uh, and he's he's basically it's 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 a it's an encouragement letter. There's some small warnings here and there, but he's saying this. It's, it's, it's from a teacher to a student. It's from a guy that's traveled ahead in life that's willing to pour into another. Okay, you don't have to be a guy to pour into another person. But uh, this letter's really interesting because he's, he's talking about what does it mean? We talked a few weeks ago about that really religious word called saint. What does it mean to be a saint? Somebody who's devoted and, and is trustworthy and committed uh, to following God. And so uh, Paul is writing here as we turn our, our uh, Bibles to Second Timothy. And we're going to go into chapter 2. So if you'll start to locate that. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand because this isn't just like anything written. This is the Holy Word of God. And we're going to go Second. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. We'll go about 13 verses today. He says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is Jesus. And what you've heard me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now you're going to hear these. He's going to be talking dude talk. He's trying to... To, to paint this illustration. He's repainting the picture where this guy, um, where these guys, as they established 
the church of Jesus Christ, as they're starting to establish this, people are abandoning them. People are going, this is too hard. How do you follow Christ? We, we saw that in the story of Christ as well, right? People would bogue on him. And so what he's doing is repainting this picture here for this young brother, and he's, he's, he's setting it up in a context, right? So you're going to hear some roles here that aren't very far ones that we would talk about. Uh, but he says this, he says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, right? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Then he says this, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God's not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory, the saints trustworthy for. If we had died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we're faith, faithless, He remains faithful, for He can't deny Himself. You may be seated. Okay, so the first things first, if you're a note taker, I'd like you to write down the role. My son, he loves hip-hop, and uh, so he always has these funny sayings that he says around the house, and I... I think they're funny, but sometimes I act like they irritate me. Like, I'm like, stop saying that, man. Just start speaking Garmin or speak the language or whatever. But he's, he always comes through. He goes, he goes hey, I'm going to dip through. He's like, I'm dipping through. And I'm like, dipping through? Like, you're coming through? You're dipping? And he, he's like, yeah, we're going to dip over to the mall. We're going to dip this. And I'm like, okay. You know, that's salsa language for me. But other than that, you know, you can dip. Go ahead and dip, man. And then he's got this other one where he says, postin'. He's like, um, now I made him sound like a brother. He doesn't say postin'. He's not like postin'. He doesn't have all that flavor. But he says, he says I'm posting up. This is what Paul's talking about. Zach's not here for me to translate to him, but here's what's happening. The role, he's saying, how are you posting? How are you posting up? What are you holding down? In this neighborhood, people will say, where do you stay? In life, where do you stay? Where are you posting up? What's the role that you're holding? We had some guys just stand up, and, and they're saying, I post up as a father. I'm talking to everybody in this room. Where are you when it comes before Christ? Where are you standing before Christ? Where are you standing in a community? Are you following Christ with a community of faith? And where are you at in your culture? Where are you at at work? How are you posting up? This is what he's saying. He's saying, post up. He's saying, there's a role. You got this role, Timothy. And he pours into him. I want to emphasize something here. You got to have people pouring into you. Because you can't post up alone. You need to have somebody pouring into you. And you know what? When you get poured into, you got to pour into another. That's, that's the way of Jesus. It's called discipling. It's, it's another religious-sounding word that means I'm a learner. 
I'm never done learning, lifelong learning. First, my, my pastor, my teacher is Jesus. I learned from Jesus. In order to learn from Jesus, you need to spend time with him. Sometimes when I say, hey, let's just have a little bit of silence in here, my gut is that it's the only silence you took to have with Jesus this week. That's okay. I'm not shaming you. I go through many weeks without posting up with Jesus. Sometimes I read the Bible like in its assignment because I've got to come before you. But the truth is, is for there to be any strength, and that's what he's talking about. He's talking to this young buck saying, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have strength. He loves him. Do you know in this room, there's people that love you. They barely know you. And they love you, and they will spend this kind of time with you, teaching you the ways of Jesus. You've got to get that. You've got to see that you're worthy to be poured into. Pray about that. Say, Lord, who would you put in my life that could help shape my life? They may even be younger than you. You, you don't get to classify it. When it comes to kingdom knowledge and wisdom, it's, it's irregardless of the context of what person it's going to come through. Okay? But it's a student-teacher a relationship that he's talking about. I want to remind you in Proverbs 1, this is, this is a good little... Uh, a little piece of scripture here. So you can write down Proverbs 1. I'm going to read it to you. About student teacher and what it means to get wisdom. It says this. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. So you have father, son pouring into. King of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction. This is right out of the gate of Proverbs. He says, To receive instruction in wise dealing. In righteousness and justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the, word, the words of the wise and their riddles. Here's one that kinks us a little bit. We've been over this a little bit this year when we took some guys camping and did a man camp. We did... Uh, the fear of the Lord, verse 7, Proverbs 1, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's said many times in the Bible. What that means is, and we've talked about this in here, fear means I have a very acute awareness. Every hair on my body stands up understanding the presence. Now, we have fear and we think of scary movies. We're thinking of beautiful God. And when we start to realize how beautiful and wonderful God is and how powerful and how willing He is to be in our lives, because we know the junk that's back here in the trunk and in the sins and our stash. Remember we talked about our stash? Knowing all of that, God says, come into my presence and a proper posture is for you to have fear, a healthy fear of knowing that I'm that powerful. But that's where wisdom starts. And so Paul is speaking to Timothy here in 2 Timothy, and we see that this is the timeless way, right? So Proverbs is written over a thousand years earlier than what we're seeing Timothy, and God's saying this, I have wisdom for you, and I'm going to use people to bring you wisdom. This is, this is the way God does it. And so look at verse 1 and 2. We see 
the, one of the first things that he says on chapter 2 of 2 Timothy is he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He's not saying work out all the time. I had a guy show me his muscles yesterday. I'm not kidding you. It was, it was, I mean, it was impressive. He had some guns. But he was like, yeah, man, I'm working out all the time. He's telling me what he's pumping and all that. And, and Paul's not talking about that. Paul's not saying, you know, you've got to go pump some iron to be a real man. And this has nothing to do with your physical stature. He's saying, when you're going to endure like a soldier, like an athlete, what this takes is heart. And what he's saying is, through Christ Jesus, you'll be strengthened and uplifted. So here's the question. Are you, I mean, let's be serious here. Are you looking for strength outside of Jesus Christ? Are you trying to put the show together? Are you trying to put your life together? Are you trying to, to be the strength? Because here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little secret here. When he goes through these roles and says, here's an athlete, here's a soldier, you can think about where you're posting up. So maybe you're in business, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a steel worker, maybe you're a construction guy, maybe you're IT, maybe you work in technology. He's saying, you're not thinking that you're the strength, are you? You're not the actual athlete. Yeah, he's putting this in context to say, when we travel with Christ, we are going to succeed. That we'll be focused like a soldier that's not entangled. Like we'll be like an athlete that, that doesn't break the rules, that understands the rules, but is striving. This isn't, today's message isn't, hey men, stand up. I'm going to shame you a little bit. I'm going to backhand you up from here. I'm going to sermonate on you. And then what's going to happen is, is you're going to walk away with your tail between your legs. This isn't uh, put your cups on today. The pastor's going to get every guy. That's, that would be incredible. Bless you. Boom. Bless you. No, I'm just kidding. The idea here is that he's saying this is an encouragement of strength through Jesus Christ for you. 2 Corinthians 12.9, if you write that down, says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast of all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The other economy that you need to know whether you are a teacher or you're a student when you're dealing with the things of Christ is that it is never your strength. That God actually believes that when you're aware of your weakness, this is why if you have fear before the presence of God and you go, you're God Almighty, you're the powerful one. That's why when you have a correct recognition of who God is and you humble, not shame, God's not looking to, to hurt you or take a ruler and knock your forehead or your little fingers. You know, whatever form of religion that you're thinking that's, that's put you into a shame base where you have to do things in order to make God happy, that's not what I'm talking about at all. In fact, slide that over there. What this is talking about is this endurance and this encouragement to where you're at and who you are at in life saying God's economy is that when you understand your weakness, then God comes in and breathes strength upon your life. 
It's called being humble. So when you come before his kingdom and his throne, you say, Jesus, even though you came as a baby, totally vulnerable and approachable, and walked the planet with us, becoming human and riding things like a donkey and having no house and forsaking everything in this world, but yet you showed us the riches of your kingdom. When you came in that kind of weakness, you flipped our scale and our understanding of what power really was. And so when Jesus says, come follow me, I'll show you what true power is, you realize it has nothing to do with the rules that are set up out in this world. Now, I'm not doing an us and them. I'm telling you because we are them. We subscribe. This isn't the church that says, oh, the world's bad. We are part of the world. We want the injection of Christ, though, to show us and to simplify and clarify for us the power of the cross. When Corinthians says, I will boast in nothing, when he's saying, I realize that I'm weak, all that I have is Jesus, that's what Paul's doing today here in this scripture, and that's what God wants you to hear now. God wants you to go, oh yeah, the truth is, you found me out, God, I'm weak. Here, 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 here. Actually, here's the spreadsheet for it. I'm weak, here, God, and God goes, yeah, I already knew that, son. And I adore you. I love you. That's why I sent my son to die for this spreadsheet of sin. This spread that is filthy before me as a pure and holy God. And that's why I set this table up so that you would commune with my son and you would realize your weakness so I can bring strength to you. That's the truth of the most crazy job on the planet. I get to tell you that and people that. And so do you. Because wherever you're posting up, the reason he's saying, where you post up, where's your role, you get to do the same thing. It doesn't happen. In fact, I believe it's much more powerful when it doesn't come from a pulpit and people don't put another person elevated above others. But when we spread out from here and we realize this truth, that's you posting up. It's you dipping in and you dipping through and saying, here's the truth of what God has taught me in my weakness. Here's a strength for you. Right? You can stay there silently. You could say amen if you want. That's the truth. Amen just means you agree. Oh, that's the truth. Yeah, I've seen that. In fact, I've seen that in others. When they gave up on trying to be their own strength and endure in their own ways, when they said, mm, we got a game change here and God shows up, you'll see that while some may say, oh, you've got a crutch. No, i got no crutch. You just don't understand the strength of who Christ is. Okay? So he talks about that. And then in verse 2, he talks about, he says, and then they'll be able to teach. You can look at that. He says, and then you'll be able to teach. So once you start traveling with God, and a lot of times we elevate this. like We feel like we had to have gotten our doctorate, or we feel like we had... Because we still think in the grids of totally the world. Like the world, because you have a degree, says something about you. It says a lot of things about you. I'm not saying or demeaning that. But what I'm saying in, in God's economy is you can start to receive His wisdom, especially if, if you're real with yourself and you're real with your family and you're real with people. You start to understand, oh yeah, this is kind of where I'm weak. And you become authentic and you have real relationships where you don't have to paint a face on you? You don't have to set up life to look a particular way? Did you know there's a life that you can actually be yourself? 
And when we do that, he's saying you learn things and then you're able to teach that. But here's where he's getting it. He's not getting it from anywhere, you guys. He's not saying, hey, go out in life and just in all of the lessons that you have, um, you can hand those. That may not be... What I've learned in business or what I learned in business may not translate to what my other friend means. He's not talking about that kind of wisdom. All of those, those are great things to transfer. Applications and, and practical and reality-driven strategies and all of those, the brass tacks of things, those are great. But what he's talking about is, do you know how to cultivate from the Word of God? He's saying, do you know what? Here's what I'm talking about. Knowing Scripture and knowing the things of God, knowing the Word of God, so that when you hold that treasure up, you can hand that to anybody. That's the kind of teaching he's talking about. And then he says, good soldier, right? So Timothy taught Paul, and he's talking in that way. He's saying, faithful men teach the Word of God. But then he goes into this good soldier thing. And I want to read to you a piece, uh, a piece of Scripture. A lot of times when I see movies, I think of Scriptures. So when I think of this Scripture that I'm going to read to you out of Ephesians 6, uh, I think of the movie The Hurt Locker. If you've seen The Hurt Locker, if you haven't seen The Hurt Locker, it was nominated for an Academy Award. You might want to see it. It's pretty good. Um, it's directed by, uh, I think, James Cameron's ex-wife, or one of his ex-wives. But he's the guy who did Avatar. But anyway, uh, this woman really took this, this film and it's, it's, it comes across as kind of gritty and real. It doesn't look like major high budget, even though it probably was. But it's a, it's a movie about these soldiers, about these three guys that, uh, that really don't like each other at first. And the one character that seems to provide the most friction. Now, now check this out. The character in the, in the Hurt Locker that, that creates the most tension in the story is the one that he's, he's actually cocky and he's overly confident. And he's hard to get along with in a little way. But here's what makes him cocky. He is the guy who gets into this suit, and uh, this bomb suit, and they're, they're over in Iraq. And what happens is whenever there's a call that goes out in the city, he goes and he walks around in the bomb suit. And so there, his buddies are talking to him, and he's walking around, and he'll go into this car and start trying to take the bomb apart, and it shows him in all these settings. And here's what all the other guys are doing. What are you doing? Are you crazy? What are you doing? When are you going to get out of there? we got to get out of here. we got a lot of eyes on us. we got to get out of here. And he walks in this suit. Because he thinks he's invincible. Now, when I'm watching the film, I'm thinking, this guy's either totally brilliant or he's just a total idiot. I think that's the way people perceive Christians. I think that they sometimes see over-cocky, sometimes they see, uh, well, the world sees us as imperialistic at times or or just as pushy as other religions, as pushing our Jesus, and we walk around in this suit. Well, here's what Ephesians 6 reminds me of. Yeah, in Jesus, bombs can go off in my life, and when I'm hidden in Christ, they don't affect me. Like, life and its circumstances can, can become fragmented, but in Christ, I can walk through them. But how we walk through them matters before others, so yeah, we may have this suit on, but 
and being protected through Christ, through circumstances, so our lives look just like the rest of the world, but there's a peace and a contentment. So, but when I look at this Hurt Locker thing, sometimes I think it looks like we made the suit. And so I want to remind you of whose armor we're wearing when Paul and Timothy says, he's a teacher to a student, and then he says, like a soldier, I want you to keep going on. He's not saying, you know, you've got to go through boot camp like six times and you'll be a really great soldier. He's, he's thinking of this. Look in Ephesians 6. Or write it down, I'll read it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand up against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. He's saying, no, it's not a wrestling. It's not the way that earth calculates saying he's saying but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness we've all seen wacky evil stuff and he says against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of god that you may be able to withstand an evil day and having done all to stand firm here's what he says again in 14 Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Standing in peace. Get that picture? See how he says he's got the belt of truth on? He's standing in this armor of Christ. In verse 16 he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. See the Hurt Locker guy? But this isn't Jesus. This is eternal strength. This isn't just one time, one war, one tour. Verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with the perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He's saying in order to be a good soldier, we stand in the armor of Christ. And did you hear what happens? When you have Christ shielding you and His truth and you're standing in His peace and there's righteousness, you're... I would read that and think, oh yeah, I'm going to go fight the devil. You'll hear people preach that way too. Like, we're going to get Satan. We're going to go get Satan and Satan's going to lose this battle against us. You will get creamed against Satan. He will waste you. It's a bad UFC fight. He's going to ground and pound your face. But if you're standing in Christ, here's what God asks of you. To stand in Christ. See, we'll get back to post up. What's your role? Are you posted up in Christ? Oh, this sounds so simple. But this is so very hard. Not to flee Christ. Not to stand in Christ. But to start working your circumstances out. Because you go, well, I know this about my life. Or you're like, God, uh, do you have a good watch? Because... Uh, taking your time here. You're going to show up for me? I'm a little desperate. I've already admitted I'm weak. The pastor said to admit that I'm weak. I'm weak. Here I am in my weakness, waiting way too long. 
And God's saying, no, stand in Christ. Stand in the armor. I know that you're getting shelled on. I know that you're taking some blows. And so this is what Paul is saying, you guys. He's saying to Timothy, take it on the chin. Have perseverance. Keep moving forward. Have endurance. We're just going to sit for a second. This sounds easy. This is the tension. This is the hard part. When, when life doesn't seem to be going the way that you want it to, when you've taken a few blows, just to be asked to persevere, to keep moving forward, as Paul says, keep your focus like an athlete. We want to quit. I want to quit. I don't always want to stand with Jesus' arm around me. I want to poke my, little, my tiny little fist and hit something. I want to get mad. Or inside the suit where God's like, just stand with me. Have peace. And I'm like having a total temper tantrum inside the suit. I'm freaking out. I'm like, yeah, I'm hidden in Jesus and I'm glad I'm hidden because I'm, I'm a foolio right now. I'm just punching the air. I'm so upset with the way life is. That's why we're here. Now, I just want you to know, like, what's outside of Sundays at gatherings here at Red Sea is we do life with each other, admitting those times where we're punching the air. Because just hearing the truth and receiving some of it, but you've got to live it out with people. You've got to be able to look at some of the eyes and go, I'm having a hard time. I don't have it all together. And you know what? When you go through hard times, this is what Paul's reminding Timothy of this. He says this in the Scripture. He says, hey, here's the reminder. I'm skipping ahead if they're trying to do that kind of stuff. Okay, so he says, when you go through, he says, I want you to remember that Jesus came through the line of David, which they all knew. As they've all, they had all studied who God of Israel was. They knew all of this. And he says, remember that Jesus came through. So when you're having a hard time keeping your focus, remember that Jesus was resurrected. People think I'm kidding when I tell them this. I tattooed this on me because I forget. I'm that stupid. It's not a bad movie like Memento where you're tattooing stuff to remind yourself. I, maybe it is. But the deal is, is I forget I forget that God cares about my circumstance and that God is protecting me and that all God is asking of me is to stand still. This is like me and my children. Solly, could you stand still? It's like, okay, three and a half year old. Does that hook help you stay still? Moses. God is saying to us, whatever your name is, stand still. I've got you protected. But he's saying here in this Scripture, I want you to keep moving forward. I want to know, I want you to keep taking it. Take it on the chin. Know your duties. Take your orders. You know who you're taking your orders from. This isn't somebody you're totally dis- you may be disagreeing with, but in the back of your mind and in the bottom of your heart, it's not as though it's, it's political. 
It's not, oh, well, I don't like the president, so I'm not going to fight this war. No, if you know God and you know who God is, and you're reminded of that, you will want to be in His war. You will want to strive with Him. You will want to endure with Him. Because what God does for you is He delivers you. And the end of this is He says, this is about victory. And this is what Paul's mindset is. He's speaking to somebody in the day that understands athletes. I think we understand athletes. He's speaking to people that know soldiers. He, we understand a little bit of what's happened uh, in the wars that we've been a part of for the last almost 10 years now, right? So he sees that. But here's what he has. He has this wreath in mind. And there's this crown. And there's different crowns in their society, just like we have different cars and different neighborhoods that say, oh, I've reached a victory. This is how we do it, is off of consumerism. We speak through economics a lot in this country, sadly. But they speak through the way that victory would come, and he would, they would be these crowns. And so when you went to war as a soldier, it's called a corona triumphalis or something like that. You get me. It's a Greek word, right? Meaning triumph. Hmm, that made sense. Let's try another. Uh, corona gramania, which means I have a, uh, I've been bestowed uh, a wreath, that, a crown on my head that's of grass. And what that means is that when I receive that and people see me walking around in that society that we were getting shelled on, but I, I did some things in the war that made it so we could save face. I made it so that we weren't shamed by the enemy. And so somebody would receive an award for that. So somebody would receive another award called Corona Ovalis which was, was, is the bay leaves that we've seen. If you'll see a crown like of bay leaves, right? And so they would put a crown of bay leaves on the one that did a lesser triumph, so a little battle within the big battle. So the triumphalis was the first one, and that crown was for the triumph. The next one was, hey, you helped us save face. We didn't look like a total f- fools. And now this one is, you helped us win a lesser one. And then there's corona moralis, and that one's made of ornaments, different ornaments, and they would place that on the victor's head. And the one who did that was somebody who scaled a wall, where we get the word mural, muralis, triumph, muralis. And that was when they, somebody did something like help take a wall down to get through the barrier. And then they had corona valaris, which was made of gold. And what that was, was when you had the gold crown, the gold wreath on your head, it meant that you were the one that led a charge directly into the enemy's kingdom. And so when Paul's speaking of this and saying, don't sell out your focus, stay focused, we know the crown. We saw all of that through Philippians. He says, keep striving for that. I want to take you to Romans 8.37 as we're thinking about victors and crowns. Romans 8.37 says this, write this down. He's talking about the victory we have in Christ. He says, No, and all these things were more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I'm going to repeat that. Romans 8.37. You want to write this down. Romans 8.37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And when he says more than conquerors, one of my very favorite words I've learned over the years is hypernikio. He's saying we're more than conquerors. 
Paul is giving Timothy, his student, he's teaching him. He's saying, this is our role. And he's saying this to him, and he says, in athletes and farmers, when we strive to produce, we are more than conquerors. We know that all of these wreaths are in our society of, of what it means to triumph and to win. And he says this, hyper where Nike gets the word Nikeo, which means victory. But hyper means, he's saying, we're more than conquerors, so we're never losing. We're forever winning. And he reminds him of that, and he says, we're winning forever. You want to see a swoosh that goes forever? He's saying, in Christ Jesus, we win forever. Nike ends at a shoe, ends at a branding, ends at an idea, ends at a marketing campaign. He says, this is hyper Nike I'm talking about. You want to forever win? then remember, Timothy, to play by the rules, the one who enlisted you, and let's keep striving forward. And he speaks this enduring language to him. And then he says, after he's gone through, the bulk of this is the role of what's your place, student, teacher, good soldier, athlete. He talks about the farmer working hard for the, the harvest. Well, we're not an agricultural uh, society. We're more business I read uh, Inc. a lot, and, um, and I just was reading this one this week, actually. One of my favorite companies ever formed, I don't know if I would love the guy or hate him, but uh, Yvonne Chouinard started a company called Patagonia in Ventura, California, and uh, they're interviewing him and interviewing this other guy, and then later in, uh, in, this, in this magazine, they're interviewing Bill Witherspoon from the Sky Factory, The Art of Work. And uh, this is his goal when he launched his company in 2002. He's owned several companies, but here's what he says. Is it possible to create a company as beautiful as a work of art? Uh, Jacques Chen- uh, Yvonne Chenard created a company that uh, his, his employees can work whenever they want. They can go surfing. They can go do all of these things that are in Ventura, California. And um, he, cr- he tried to create this beautiful atmosphere Why am I telling you about these business guys? Because here's what's going on. When Paul is speaking to Timothy, speaking in these ways, in these contexts, let's not get caught up to say, I'm not a soldier, I'm not an athlete. Whoever you're at, whoever you are and wherever you're at in life, God is saying you can have this eternal victory. But while you're staying posted up and playing the role that you are, I want to remind you that it's through Christ Jesus. I want to spur you on. I want you to stay in the game. But whatever your context is, these business guys, if, I, if you read these articles, they're both trying to create... The one guy's values are... Um, he says these. These are his values. Uh, he, he wants his company and all of his employees to be able to be in an environment that they share information, that they give everyone equal footing, that they make decisions together, that they serve each other. And there's big, long paragraphs with each one of these values. That they share the rewards. That's God's kingdom economy. If you're searching and seeking and thinking God doesn't understand where you're at, God can translate these truths and this story of victory in Christ to you. And if you're struggling, God's okay with you struggling. He wants to remind you. And this is what Paul said, right? Go to verse 8. He says, Remember, young buck, 
Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. He's saying the messenger is physically bound, but the message will spiritually never be bound. He's saying, you can't take my freedom. I'm sitting in jail for this story, Paul says. I'm sitting in jail and these prisoners are getting the story. I may be bound as a messenger. You may be bound in some, some way of this world or even in your mind. But God's saying, this is the message that has no boundaries. You have limitations because you're human and finite. But this message that I sent through my son that he's reminding him of goes forever. And anyone who subscribes to that and understands the story will live forever with me. When you seek repentance in Jesus Christ, when you know that He is Lord, when you have a proper fear, whatever your role is, you get on this train. And he's saying, let me repaint the picture for you. Sometimes you're feeling totally defeated because people are walking out of your life. People are walking. People are tired of it. When you were all successful, I can remember having my company, and people would walk into my office, and they loved to be in my office when they thought that I was making a million bucks. But when I would tell them, no, after I paid all of my employees, I actually made $500 this month. They would not listen to me. They'd go, yeah, but you're still a winner. You're still a winner. We all want to be associated and be with the winners. And he's saying here, you want to win. There's nothing greater than living for eternity in a kingdom that a Savior has prepared for you in which he came and died on the planet so that you would see and understand the way, the truth, and the life of what he is saying. And so he fulfills these scriptures and this knowledge. And God says, you want to repaint your picture, you're feeling a little bit low, having a self-esteem problem, get hidden in Christ. Get in the victor's suit. Christus Victor. And the crown, stop thinking about what man did by going into enemy's castle or getting, uh, what is it, muralis. Now I'm getting myself all worked up. (laughs) Climbing some wall, saving face. Those, that's all human stuff. We're always trying to save face. We've always got some, ba- some barrier that we thought that we conquered and we gave ourselves a little crown. It was a shopping spree or, or a, a coffee. And there's even a McDonald's campaign right now. I'm picking on McDonald's a lot today. But it's uh, the, me. This is me time. This is me. If you want to repaint the picture and say, I'm ready to step up, post up, play the role, have the responsibility to be what it means to stand before God who loves me, who sent his son to die so that I can have hyper and I can win forever and be untouchable because the message of freedom, that's what God is proposing here. And God, through Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, come on now. This is who we are. This isn't God's way of pep-talking us. This has already been done. This isn't, hey, we're going to hit the field and we're going to try this new play and we're going to give the ball to Bobby. Bobby's going to get us over the goal. And blah, blah, blah. It's, No, we gave the ball to Jesus. He did the mission. He died on the cross and we won. And we keep winning. And when your eyes close and you sleep and death becomes a pause for you, you will live forever with Him the one who searched and sought you out and loves you, the one that taught you how to fight like you're a warrior, the one who taught you to strive and endure and have focus. But the crown, it's a crown of thorns. 
Remember, we're like, oh, the crowns are getting better. There's one made out of grass, one out of bay leaves. Eh, that's a bummer. There's one out of all these trinkets. That's a little effeminate for me. And then there's this one that's made out of gold. Well, that's the one I want on my head. No, the one that was worn on anybody's head for you was made of thorns. And they mocked him. But that's how victory came to us. It's through Jesus humbling himself. And we talk about weak. Jesus not defending himself, not pulling a Shazam or a, a Mafio, not a gangster move, not a UFC move. He showed us what it means to be a man by obeying his Father, by loving his Father, By loving those around him. Yeah, he clearly concentrated on men. I don't know if women just get it. Because he had to have these 12 Yahoo fishermen, tax collecting dudes. But he clearly looked at you men and said, I want to train you. I want you to be victory. I want you to represent my kingdom. And I know that you're weak. You are so weak, you don't have to hide. I'm so strong in my love, I will unconditionally love you. Would you come to me, all who are heavy laden, all who are weary? My yoke is light and easy, Jesus says. That's what he reminds him of. He says, hey, Tim, I know we got tough times. Some of you are saying that right now. Financially, I'm in tough. Socially, I feel ostracized. Nobody cares about me. Some of us go, it is so broken, you have no clue, Pastor. I don't even want to look around in this room because I feel terrible about this position I'm in. Nobody's ever been through this, and Satan has made sure you feel that way. And God says... No, these are filthy. No, I specialize in filthy. He says, come to me. And that's what we celebrate every week. When we break this bread, we go, Jesus was broken for me, for the broken. Jesus, by being broken, took on all of my sin and understands brokenness more than anyone. Can I trust you, Jesus? Yes, I died for you. They put a crown of thorns mocking me, but little did they know my unsuspecting ways that I delivered the kingdom through dying on the cross for you to pull you and adopt you into the kingdom was through my death. And if you're new here, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it into the wine or the juice that symbolizes the forgiveness of sins to mankind. See, this Scripture says, why do we do this? Why do we endure? Why do we do all these things? You might think it's, it's a me answer, right? No, it's not. It's a we answer. If you look there in Timothy, he says this, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's what that means. Jesus didn't live His life and His mission for Him. He didn't go, I'm going to get a nice little place on the hill and I'm going to get a fat pool. The weather's wonderful here in the Middle East. I'm going to have some olives and some feta. This is going to be nice. And I can walk on water and there's water all over the place. 
I don't even need a ski boat. No. He says, I'm going to come down there and sow through humanity for them. And this is what Paul says. He's speaking to Timothy and he's pouring into him and he knows his life and he's about to die, you guys. And here's what's on his mind. You. Paul is a true disciple of Christ because he gets it. He gets that his life wasn't for him. His life was for others to be broken and poured out for others. And that's what's happening here. We're trying to learn that. What does it mean? Sometimes we go, what, is, what does pastor mean? Do you know what pastor means to me, you guys? It's that Daisy and I were the first ones just to step out on this story in this faith to say, we're going to give up everything we've got. We're going to turn our backs on what we think we know. We're going to admit that we're super weak, even though God wants us to start a church, and all I know how to do is pray. I don't even know my scriptures that well at that time. And God's saying, yep, you're my guy. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and he says this, get in this suit. Get in this suit of Christ. You want victory? Just stand. Continue to wake up and stand in North Portland for my son's glory and his fame. Not your glory, not your fame. You stand. He's asking us to post up. He's asking us to, to, to understand our role. He's given us the reminder every, all the time of Jesus, and especially on Sundays when we come together. And then He's asking us to roll out results. And it says this in the last verse of 13. We'll close this up. It says, If we are unfaithful, Christ remains faithful. Jesus had a laser focus. Sometimes we want, you know, I've heard Christians say stuff like, yeah, I wish Michael Jordan was a Christian. That'd be so good for, I'm making up this part. They say that, and I'm thinking, why? Because that would be good PR for Christianity? Like Jesus wasn't enough? You know, I wish this star, I heard this star follows Jesus. Like Christianity is going to get better because there's one famous person following Jesus? No, this is all by the power and the fame and the glory of the one who's on a throne now and that there's no higher crown that could be obtained that only he has. And he is the one who brings everyone to the Father and is only through him. And so if you don't know Jesus today, I want you to continue to analyzing and asking questions and poking at this story to go, what's this story about? You're telling me I could live forever and that there's victory forever? How do I know that this isn't just some fairy dust and that this isn't just some goofy inspirational story? Well, you have to stick around to find out. Let's see if this is real. But today, those of you who believe in Christ and you need to repent of your sins, and you need to say, I'm weak in these places. When we come here, we come without shame because this is where victory starts. When Jesus forgives you. When He lightens your load. This is where men and women leave this table and they say, I'm a free woman. I'm a free man. I'm a free child of God. Have you ever seen freedom in somebody's eyes? You need to accept this freedom because they're waiting to see it in somebody's eyes. God is calling them and He wants to use you as a big sign 
on the road to life to go, oh, that freedom, I've seen that in somebody's life before. That's Jesus Christ. That's the one who won forever and wins forever and reigns forever and is forever. Is the Alpha and the Omega. That's Him. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we don't just in a few minutes here, as music gets loud, as we start rocking or whatever, we don't want to rock because it's manly. We don't want to do any style of music because we're trying to please people. We want to play and sing and live our lives, whether it's in schools or, or in businesses or in fabrication plants or taxi driving or or maybe we're unemployed right now and we're going how do I glorify God without my paycheck well God you've got a conversation for each person to say here's how I value you you want you want to know what you're worth you're worth way more than a paycheck you're worth my son's death you're worth redemption And so God, as we come to this table, as we confess our sins, as we break this bread, as we dip it, as we say prayers to you, as we get enamored with the fact that you alone offer peace that supersedes any power that this world could have on us, will you just let us shake the disease? Will you let us just shake our heads and our hearts? Would you move us, Holy Spirit, into righteousness, into sacredness, to say that the bar has been raised. There's a better way to run life. There's a better way to fight, as Paul put it in, these, in the pictures of being a warrior. And ask, Lord, keep our vision alive. Isaiah 61, Luke 4, as you just lit it up to show us that there's, there is devastation aware of it, but you're going to lift up dry bones and you're going to take us when we were dead in the desert and you're going to lift us up so we can march forward and advance your beauty. I love seeing business guys want to create essentially what a gospel community is, Lord. Everybody seeking your kingdom, you're the only one who can make it happen. Help us to stop, stop seeking elsewhere. We love you so very much. We thank you for the cross and the blood that dripped from Calvary that created peace for us. Increase our belief so that we can more boldly, not obnoxiously, not like we made the suit, not creating tension with our neighbors, acting like we know more than somebody, but let us be humble Christ followers that adore the cross, that adore the Scriptures, that want to pass on this legacy that will live forever. And we look forward to seeing you, Father. We love you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.